Good morning, good morning. It is New Testament Friday. New Testament Friday, episode 68. New Testament 068. Ah, excuse me. 070. 070. Episode 070. Yeah! Nice. Good stuff. We are coming to you deep from the bowels of the Barksdale Communication Complex. And exciting is uh, started something new. Uh, we are have our coffee of the week, which we still have the uh, uh, fair trade coffee from uh, Trader Joe's, uh, five five country coffee. Something new. I don't have a sponsor other than Spotify, who you'll get the commercial for later, but. Uh, I sponsor my own business sponsors, Barky RV Rental. Sponsors wake up to the word. So <laughs> uh, we have currently uh, renting one trailer. We have uh, one out, but we have some great dates available for you. Go to the website, www.barkyrvrental.com, and uh, fill out the form, and let's make some arrangements. We can help you out with uh, renting to you locally. We deliver, we pick up, and we would love to do that for you. So that's our commercial for the, for the morning, and um, you'll get one a little later also. So uh, uh, just a new format, um, little, little advertising uh, of our business. So uh, wake up to the word. Uh, we are being heard in seven countries. As I said, we have over 1,600 views we average 600 views a week, and uh, over 600 views a week we average. Uh, and so uh, very excited about all that. Uh, got all my analytics and uh, just to get that information. So um, awesome. So uh, let's... Uh, let's, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Here we go. We are in New Testament. We are in the book of, uh, we are on September 1st. It is September 1st. And uh, Mark chapters 12 and 13. And we have some very cool stuff here. And uh, a lot of people ask questions. Sometimes I look at the camera. Sometimes I don't. I have some stuff on my computer. I have my Bible here. And I have Jeff's stack of stuff right over here. And my mug that uh, says that right there. Thank you, Jessica, for that lovely gift. And, uh... So uh, no, nothing new in Jeff's stack of stuff. We're going to walk through this today, 12 and 13 of Mark. The first one is the parable of the tenants. And uh, as we've talked about before and just learning how to read your Bible, parables are uh, stories in the natural that depict the truth in the spiritual. And so what you have to do is identify the people. And generally in, in parables, there are um, titles uh, or descriptions of people. And so in this one, it starts off, and uh, he began, that's Jesus, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Okay, we have to figure out who are these people? So we got a man who has a vineyard and he does puts work into the vineyard and he leases it to tenants. So who's the man? Who's the tenants? The man is God. 
the tenants are people, okay, and we are to work the land. So God leases us a vineyard. What's the vineyard? The vineyard is the world, okay? Uh, and the tower, he leases it and went to another country. Where'd he go? Went to heaven, went to another kingdom. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So at first you might say, uh, that's Jesus. But when you find out that he sent another servant and another servant and another ser many other servants, and some of them got beat, some of them got killed, and so you start to realize that those servants are the prophets that God sent into the world to give his message. So, thirsty. So, we have that part of the parable. So we have God, we have people, we have prophets that come into the world, and they don't receive him. And then it says... He had still one other, a beloved son. Is That is verse 6. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they, and, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left and went away. So the, 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 the leaders are listening. And they think it's about them. And it is a bit about them, the ones who beat and kill and destroy. And uh, the interesting part that I got up, is, uh, took out of this is, uh, this is the heir. Come and let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So I don't think that the, the, the people or the leaders or the ones who killed the prophets and beat the prophets are all necessarily people. I think some of them are the rebelling uh, uh, the rebelling divine spirits, the rebelling Elohim, the rebelling sons of God, because they're recognizing Jesus as the heir, and they are also uh, saying that they can get the inheritance if they kill the son. So <clears throat> I think it's a combination of both, and they would have seen that in here. Um, certainly they understood that he was talking about the religious leaders who did away with the prophets and killed the prophets. So um, that's the end of that one. Now he says, paying taxes to Caesar. They ask him a question and they sent him away. Oops, excuse me. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees. This is not a parable. And some of the Herodians, some of the people who followed Herod, to trap him in his talk. So these are the, the legal people the people who were uh, Herod's, Herod's men. Um, and they came and said to him, because the Pharisees brought them with him, with them to give Jesus this test question <clears throat> to try to trap him into say, 
saying he's uh, he's not paying taxes. Okay, so uh, that's the question. And they came to him and said, "Teacher, we know that you are true and do not and and do not care about anyone's opinion, <clears throat> for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God." Buttering him up a little. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, They said to him, Caesar. So Jesus said, I got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So uh, they tried to trap him. He gave them an answer, but it's also an answer for us. You know, in this world, you render unto Caesar what Caesar's, unto God what is God's. Some people get very uh, uh, pushy-backy on the government. And I get it. I understand. I, I'll go get into a political conversation all day long. Uh, but what I'm going to fall back on is what does the Bible say about any topic, any topic, whether it crosses the line of politics or not, you need to talk about all biblical topics. So this is a biblical topic talking about taxes. Pay your taxes. I pay my taxes, you pay your taxes. That doesn't mean you can't use any legal means to pay less taxes. The government makes the tax laws. So if you use the tax laws to pay less taxes, if you use the deductions and the loopholes and all of those things, if you use that to your advantage to retain more money, to invest in the kingdom, great, do it, absolutely. Because you're rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's through the means that Caesar gives you, and you're rendering unto God what is God's. If you get to keep more, you get to expand the kingdom more using the things that God allows you to have, using the funds that God allows you to have. There is no problem with that. And this is the issue. People get upset when, whether you're wealthy or not, you pay less taxes than them. Well, if if the government has set up the system for the deduction, then it's legal. There's nothing wrong with it, okay? Yes, you may not be able to afford, I might not be able to afford a great... Uh, expensive tax guy and lawyers to watch all out for this, but I do the best I can. You do the best you can. Use every deduction possible. Keep as much as you possibly can. Nothing wrong with that, but pay what is due legally. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? So uh, the Sadducees ask about the resurrection. Interesting part of the Sadducees asking about the resurrection is the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's the really curious part of this. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. So this is like someone asking you a question and they believe differently than you, but they're asking you a question because they believe they know your answer and they have a, a retort. They have a pushback. They have a counterpoint. They want to debate. They want to discuss. They want to, they want to make it difficult. And so... They want to push back on you by asking a question so you give an answer, okay? But it's time for a wake-up call. That's right. And they ask him a question saying, Teacher, 
Moses wrote, wrote for us that if a man dies and leaves a wife and leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So, here's the story. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died and left no offspring. And the third, likewise, and the, and the seven left no offspring. I'd have thought by the third, you'd be really leery about marrying this woman. All our husbands are dying. Well, we got all the way to seven in this story. <laughs> so, but the question is, last of all, the woman also dies. And in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said, <clears throat> is this not the reason you you is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God for when they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like the angels in heaven and as for the dead being raised have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob he is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. <clears throat> so they're wrong in their assumption about everything. They're wrong in their assumption about the marriage. <clears throat> and he knows they don't believe in the resurrection. And I have a little note here. They don't. The Sadducees don't believe. It says it right away at 18. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question. That's the starting point of this. Why They don't believe that there's a resurrection. And this is why they are sad, you see. So you probably saw that coming. And that's a fail. Not a good joke. But a consistent one. Helps us remember what they believe. Little bits of humor like that. Very little bits. <clears throat> of humor yeah okay the great commandment coming up here on verse 28 and they asked him what's the greatest commandment and of course we know there's a whole bunch of them 300 of them in the in the bible but obviously the big 10 <clears throat> but jesus says which is the most important and jesus says the most important is here O god the lord our god is one and you shall love the lord with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. Interesting that <clears throat> these commandments, coffee time, that these commandments are all the way back. That's just to get your attention. These commandments are all the way back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 5 is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Leviticus 19, 18 is the, is the, talks about love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus isn't telling him anything new. There's nothing new here. These are thousands of years old, thousands of years old. <clears throat> and they're still asking the question. They've added all these things, all these rabbinical laws. By the time Jesus comes along, there's thousands and thousands of rabbinical laws that are added on to the laws to help people understand the laws, kind of like our legislative bodies keep adding laws on to help us 
understand the law better. <laughs> yeah, we don't buy it. <clears throat> so, he gives them that, and he says, uh, all of these, uh, in another place he says, this all sums up the laws and the prophets. So you take everything in the Bible, and you plug it into these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can plug that in anywhere, and it fits into Scripture. Um, he says in the end, and to love, love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself much more than all, than, than all, than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's much more than all of those. And when Jesus said that, he, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Oh, this is someone else. And the scribe said to him, you are right. Teacher, you have truly said, why don't I just put my glasses on, then I can read it. <clears throat> you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one, no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him more questions. And that's the line I wanted to get. So there is a wise scribe in there. He's figured it out that the burnt offerings are not enough. They're coverings. They're shadows of what's to come. They're not truly atoning for sin. <clears throat> they're identifying sin and they're placing a shadow on the sin. So when the substance comes, which is Jesus, and does the actual sacrifice, then the sins are atoned for. Then all sin is atoned for. And so this guy has figured it out. And he says he's not, he's close to the kingdom of God. So what does it mean he's close? He's almost got it. He's really close. He's figured it out. He doesn't have the substance, though. He doesn't know yet that Jesus is Messiah. He's figured out the law. He's figured out that the sacrifices are the shadow, but he's not, hasn't quite gotten that Jesus is the substance. Jesus is the atonement. So that's why he's, he's not, hasn't got the kingdom yet. He's close. He's close to the kingdom. And plus, Jesus is standing right there. Double entendre, as he does all the time. So, uh, whose son is Christ? Jesus asked this question, trying to get him thinking, because uh, he generally asks questions that he knows they are already asking. So he's trying to get, answer their questions before they ever ask him, or they're not bold enough to ask it. And Jesus taught in the temple, and he said, how can the scribes say that Jesus is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Scriptures declares, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemy under your feet. David himself called him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Then he gives a warning. <clears throat> and in his teaching, Jesus said, beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the market. They like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor in the feast, who devour widows' houses and 
and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive their great condemnation. So look out for these folks who uh, think they're really something, but they're really pointing to themselves all the time. And they get, they'll get their reward. As far as the, who's the, who's, whose son is the Christ, he's asking that question. And he's pointing out that Jesus is here now in the flesh as a descendant of David, a son of David. But he existed before that. And he is the Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So Yahweh said to the word of Yahweh, sit at my right hand. So if you want to get that, how that works out. Uh, the widow's offering is the next one. Most of us have heard this before. People come in and give their give uh, big offerings so they they look good and they they declare it. But the widow came in, gave two mites, gave out of gave everything she had for God, and uh, Jesus said that she's going to be remembered because she gave everything. <clears throat> Jesus foretells destruction of the temple. This is 13. We're starting on 13. What do we got for time? Doing good. Um, and as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left. One stone upon another will not be thrown down. It's going to go into the signs of the end of the age, which we did talk about in Matthew Right, Matthew 24, we had last week, Matthew 26, Matthew 24, two weeks ago. And um, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of the end of your age? <coughs> so, <clears throat> I'm just going to read it. It's just a lot easier to, to, to read it rather than pick and choose so there's a lot of stuff here, and uh, I know we're going to go over time, but let's see. And Jesus began to answer them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. The beginning of the birth pains. Remember this because it's said multiple places. This is not the only place it says it, but the beginning of birth places. Be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stay. Uh, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That's important. It's got to get to every nation. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before, beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And the brother and brother will, will deliver brother over to death and father his child, and children will rise up against parents. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is interesting because all of these things he's describing are not 
in the end. This is the lead up. This is the birth pains to the end. We have something going on right now, and it's going to sound political again, but children rising up against parents. This is getting fed in our schools all the time. This this issue of um, gender is being fed uh, both uh, overtly and covertly uh, to children, and it's pitting them against their parents. They're going to rise up against their parents, and they're getting fed all this by uh, not all teachers, there's great teachers, there's many, many great teachers, but as an organization, there's, they're, they're trying to say you cannot, that, that, that teachers can infuse life-changing information to children in school against their parents' wishes. And this is the start of this, the birth pains, and I believe the birth pains have started. Now the abomination of desolation. 14, <clears throat> when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down or enter the house to take another, uh, take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back and take it, take a cloak, take his cloak. And alas, the women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing and infants, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs, false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. So when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, abomination of desolation is also used in Daniel to trigger the onset, the onset of the tribulation. It's not necessarily... Uh, it, it, it starts then, so this part is that trigger, and then the coming of the Son, Son of Man. But in those days, after the tribulation, what does it say? After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will, will give its light, and the stars will be fall from heaven, and the power in the heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power. And then we will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, the ends of the earth to the end of heaven. Okay. Uh, after the tribulation, this is when the second coming happens. Now, this is not the rapture of the church. This is the second coming. This is the tribulation saints. And then they will see him. They'll all see him, it says. So they'll all see him coming down. That's not what the rapture is. The rapture is something different. That's the church that comes before the tribulation. And this is telling that this is going to be the gathering of the elect. The lesson of the fig tree, 28. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So, also, when you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gate. Truly, I say to you, this generation, genos is the Greek word, or which also means nation. This nation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth 
will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's talking to Jews about Israel. Israel's going to go through the tribulation. That's why this is a full context thing. He's not talking about the church here. He's answering their question, and he's talking about Israel. Israel's going to go through the tribulation. The church is not. Israel is. This nation will not pass away. Why does he write that? Because the nation gets scattered for many, many years. Remember 1946, I think it is, 1946, they returned to their state. And so that that's made this possible. The time clock may have started ticking at that point. So no one knows the day of the hour. <clears throat> but concerning the day of the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and com and commands the door doorkeeper to, st to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. How can he not know? If he's God, how can he not know? Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. A kenosis of God. How can God empty himself? Well, if he empties himself of being all-knowing, how many things does he not have to know? Does he void of his knowledge? How many things does he not have to know to no longer be all-knowing? And the answer to that is one thing. He only has to not know one thing. He doesn't know this. So we know he doesn't know at least one thing. He may have emptied himself of other things. But we know for sure he doesn't know this thing. And that's what he's told us. He's emptied himself. That's all we got time for. You need to stay awake because you don't know when the time is coming. We love you so much. Keep watching. Wake up to the word. Sponsored by Barky RV Rentals. <laughs> I know. Shameless plug. Come on. Keep watching. Wake up to the word. Share it with a friend. We love you guys. We will see you. Come on out Sunday. Start of a new series. Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater.